Tonight on The Readout. Our life has changed forever. It has darkened because our light has left. The child and the little human who once made this family whole is no longer with us. Tess will never get to experience the life we had prayed she would live. Gripping testimony from Faith Mata, the sister of a young Uvalde school massacre victim, as lawmakers search for answers to gun violence. Faith Mata joins me tonight. Plus, Dr. Anthony Fauci joins me as Republicans ramp up their COVID misinformation and conspiracy theories, just as concerns are being raised about a possible winter surge. And speaking of conspiracy theories, the White House is opening up the JFK assassination files. What, if anything, can we still learn about that tragic day almost six decades ago? And had he lived, JFK's post-presidency would have looked nothing like this. The major announcement Donald Trump promised turned out to be a major embarrassment. And of course, a grift. We begin tonight with a trip down memory lane. Now just imagine with me, if you will. The year is 2020. COVID is wreaking havoc across the globe. Everything is shut down. People have been isolated, locked inside for months on end, working from home, schooling from home, keeping six feet away from family, friends, neighbors, and completely unsure of what would happen next. That fear and isolation drove a lot of people to the internet, seeking answers on why this was all happening, how it got that way, and what we could do to get out of it. And the result was a massive surge in conspiracy theories. You may remember the early days when the conspiracies were about the origins of the virus, some even believing that governments around the world were purposely spreading COVID to control the public, calling it a pandemic. There were theories about masks, quack doctors claiming that masks were more likely to get you sick than to protect you. Several internet personalities like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk got on board, spreading miracle cures to their audience of millions. Remember ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine? the drugs that public health officials found actually did not have any benefit to COVID patients at all. And let's not forget when the then president got up to the podium in the White House briefing room and suggested injecting bleach. And then when a couple of highly effective vaccines came around that were the solution to get back to some sense of normal, the anti-vaxxer movement kicked it into overdrive. People were claiming that the vaccine contains a microchip, so that Bill Gates and the government can track your every move. People were putting spoons and keys up to their face, saying that the shot would make you magnetic. Some were even claiming that all the deaths we were seeing were not from the virus, but rather from the vaccines. The pandemic created the perfect environment for conspiracy theorists to grow and to enter the mainstream. In the meantime, Americans were dying, at times thousands per day. Millions of others were hospitalized or experiencing long COVID. Fast forward to today, and COVID is once again on the rise. Cases have risen roughly 55% over the past two weeks, while deaths have surged by around 65%. Hospitals are once again being pushed to the brink, some running out of beds due to simultaneous increases in COVID, the flu, and RSV. But in Florida, where a disproportionate 83,000 people have died of COVID, Governor Ron DeSantis is spending his week forming a committee to counter the CDC and called on his state Supreme Court to greenlight an investigation of any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID vaccines. And take a listen to what Kentucky Senator Rand Paul had to say yesterday. 
What do you tell your patient who says, I've been vaccinated three times and now I've had COVID. Did it help me to have gotten COVID? Of course it did. Having gotten the disease naturally is like a vaccine, but an even better vaccine. A reminder for the senator, more than 17,000 people have died from COVID in your state. But this is nothing new from Rand Paul, who was one of the first Republicans to give oxygen to conspiracy theories about Dr. Anthony Fauci, even going after him during COVID hearings and then fundraising off of it. Those conspiracies were so rampant that the doctor and his family have received death threats. But that didn't stop the Republican Party. Even now, with the rise in infections, their priority isn't keeping their constituents safe, but rather investigating the man who has dedicated his entire career to finding cures and treatments for deadly diseases. Elon Musk is even getting in on it, tweeting, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci, throwing in a gratuitous swipe at trans folks because, of course, while at the same time rolling back Twitter's COVID misinformation policy and replatforming thousands of users who have spread conspiracies to the public. And joining me now is Dr. Anthony Fauci, chief medical officer to President Biden and director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And Dr. Fauci, I just want to start by thanking you for doing what you do, because it is not... It wasn't easy to do what you do when it was the HIV AIDS crisis and you had to educate a public that had negative views toward the people who were getting sick. That was bad enough. But now you're doing it under a kind of duress that I could not have imagined in my lifetime. So I just want you to give you an opportunity to, to talk just for a minute about what it has been like to be the hate object at the center of COVID when people like Rand Paul, who was ostensibly a doctor, although he gave himself the certification to that, are attacking you daily and threatening you. Well, I don't really pay much attention to that. I know that's difficult for some people to believe, but I focus on what my job is, what my mission is, and what I've, as you said, what I've devoted my entire professional life to, and that is to protect and help the, to keep the America healthy, to protect their health and to protect and defend them against diseases such as COVID and HIV. If I focused and got distracted by all that other noise, it would really, you know, be detrimental for me to do my job. So I just phase that out and I just focus on what I should be doing. And that is what we have been doing, developing the vaccines and encouraging people to accept the vaccines, which, you know, uh, a report came out from the Commonwealth Fund just last week that showed that vaccinations over the last two years have saved 3.2 million lives 18 million hospitalizations were averted and $1 trillion were saved. So when people start interfering with people getting vaccines by downplaying it or putting conspiracy theories, unfortunately, that results in the loss of lives of people who could have been protected by a vaccine, who chose for one reason or other, mostly misinformation, not to get vaccinated. So that's what I focus in on on countering that, that other noise I, I don't pay attention to. Well, you know, the thing is, the reason I bring it up, Dr. Fauci, is that we have a unique situation here. You know, when the polio vaccines first came out, there was misinformation and conspiracy theories then, too. But there also wasn't the Internet uh, and there weren't podcasts where people are literally beaming into very specific audiences misinformation. Uh, the black audiences got a lot of it early on, but Republican audiences got it intensely to the point where there is data showing that Republicans have died of COVID at higher rates than Democrats, that it's actually 
actually causing a partisan divide in who dies, whereas we're so used to in you know past issues and pandemics having it be disproportionately people of color. No, it's disproportionately Republicans. You had people like Herman Cain um, who died um, after being in this disinformation um, sort of you know, whirlwind. Um, you've had a lot of radio hosts, a guy named Dick Farrell, Phil Valentine, Mark Bernier. They're actually literally preaching disinformation and then dying. So what do you do to try to get people to accept the idea of saving their own lives and getting vaccinated and helping to mitigate the impacts if there's a partisan divide on whether you should take the vaccine? Yeah, I'm not so sure what we can do about that, but except to continue to put out correct evidence-based information, information based on data, information based on the truth. And you're absolutely right. It's really unconscionable and painful to see someone who suffers and dies and perhaps influences their family to suffer and die based on an ideological consideration. No one wants to see anyone get sick and die from COVID, whether you're a conservative, a liberal, or somebody in the middle. It doesn't make any difference. Everybody's life is precious. And it really is awful that some people put themselves in danger merely because they don't want to accept or ideological differences make them believe something that is not true. You know, we're in a dangerous period right now. We're seeing this triple sort of pandemic of flu, RSV, and COVID hitting hospitals really hard. Long COVID, just a quote here from the Washington Post, a study released Wednesday by the National Centers for Health Statistics found that um, more than 3,500 Americans died of long COVID-related illnesses. Um, and you've only got 13% of people who've gotten the latest booster. Um, Republicans are preparing to take over the House, and they're about to waste a lot of time and money dragging you before committees to interrogate you. That is what they have said they're going to do. It's what they're going to do. And so I'm wondering if without you being in the position you're in right now, is there something that can be done to get back to the focus on that, on the fact that long COVID is really hurting people and we're going to see another wave of COVID this winter? Well, both of the things you said, Joy, are true. In fact, We are going to see an uptick in cases as we get deeper into the colder months of the winter when we approach the end of the year holiday season. People congregate indoors. There's going to be an uptick in infections. And with that, an uptick in hospitalizations and even deaths. We have the wherewithal and the tools to mitigate against that. We have COVID vaccines. We have the booster that you spoke about that only 13 percent of the eligible population is utilizing that booster. That is unacceptable. We've got to do better than that. And you're right. We do have other infections now. We have a very sharp spike, almost a vertical spike in influenza. And we have a good influenza vaccine that's well matched to the circulating strain of influenza. So we're trying to get the population to appreciate that we have the tools to protect us. We've got to get people to utilize them more as we get into a more dangerous situation of the colder months. And and what do you say to people who, you know, have had family or friends or they themselves got vaccinated, sometimes even got boosted and still got COVID and now don't want to take another booster because they just now they just don't believe in the vaccines at all? You know, that that is an understandable misunderstanding. And let me explain what I mean by that. Of course, when people say I got vaccinated and then I got infected, so why should I wind up getting another shot? 
But what they don't appreciate is that if you look at the statistics of the difference between unvaccinated people and people who are vaccinated and boosted with regard to progressing to hospitalizations and death, overwhelmingly the greater percentage of serious illness and death is among people who have not been vaccinated and have not updated their booster shots. Again, we have within our own power to protect ourselves. We need to utilize that and implement it. Do you have a plan for, uh, are you going to retire or what are you going to do in your, in your, your, your life after this very harrowing job? Well, I'm going to step down, as I've announced, uh, from the federal government at the end of this month, the end of December. But I'm not retiring in the classic sense. I'm going to still be very actively involved in public health issues, in lecturing and in writing, and hopefully inspiring the younger generation to take a consideration of going into science or going into public health and hopefully even going into public service. I have the experience of being in the government as a scientist for 54 years and as the director of the Institute for 38 years. And I've had the privilege of advising seven presidents over that period of time. So I hope that I can use that experience to inspire some people to pursue a career in science, medicine and public health. Well, I'm sure that you will do exactly that. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you very much. Thank you for all you do. Um, Really appreciate you. And coming up next on The Readout, the lessons of Uvalde and the systemic failures that doomed a classroom full of children. Stay with us. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Jen Psaki. Have you ever seen the House this dysfunctional? Rachel Maddow. If winning the election is his plan to stay out of prison, what happens in that election if and when he does not win it? Mondays, back to back. Talk about the stakes of this back and forth, given Trump's behavior. What do you make of the statement from Hamas? Why they're doing it? What, what do you think it means? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9 p.m. Eastern, Mondays on MSNBC. Are we not tired of hearing the stories of victims? Of hearing them from victims' families? Are we not tired of hearing yet another tragedy because of gun violence? When is enough enough? I truly hope that this never happens to any other family in the days, months, or years to come. That was the sister of Tess Mata one of the 19 elementary school students killed in the Uvalde massacre seven months ago, along with two of their teachers. Mata and other members of the Uvalde community, along with policymakers and a survivor of the Sandy Hook shooting, were on Capitol Hill today to testify in a hearing on gun violence. Uvalde's only pediatrician, Dr. Roy Guerrero, who treated the victims that day, played audio of students screaming that he said a parent had sent him. Now, I have to warn you, This is extremely difficult to listen to. So take a minute, brace yourself, and okay, here it is. This is a shrill screaming of kids trying to get out while their classmates are being murdered. 
When you see pictures of Amory and her friends on the news, you should know they didn't get buried looking sweet and happy like their photos. Some were missing limbs, some had holes in their tiny chests. You might mistakenly imagine a funeral where a child lies peacefully in a colorful coffin, but make no mistake, there's no peace in the death of a child by a weapon of war. Wow. And Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez described the utter failure of law enforcement officials that day. Brave little girls called 911 while law enforcement waited outside just a few feet away. Not one law enforcement official took control inside or outside of that building. Child was dragged out of the hallway. Her face was gone. Hallways and classrooms had blood like no horror movie you've ever seen. Off camera, you could hear grown men throwing up from the side of the horror, or perhaps the failure that they had caused. There is no transparency and no accountability to date. State Senator Roland Gutierrez joins me now. So joining me is Faith Mata, who you saw at the beginning of the segment. She's the sister of Tess Mata, who lost her life in the shooting at Robb Elementary School. Um, thank you both for being here. And Faith, I want to start uh, just by letting you tell us a little bit about Tess. What was she like? My sister was, she was just so outspoken. She was very diva-like, loved to dress up. Um, she was the joy of our family. Uh, I don't think we we could never stay mad at her. Uh, we were just always smiling and laughing with her. I was reading a piece about the day um, of the shooting, um, Faith, and you were frantic calls to find out, you know, where your sister was to try to account for her once you knew that there was a lockdown at the school. Um I wonder what you make of when you, we step back and think about these two pieces. One, law enforcement's just utter failure. The fact that there were 317 police there. And the fact that people are still defending the idea of having the kind of gun that would do to the bodies of little kids like your sister, what was what the senator described. Yeah, um, like I said it there, that I don't understand how we can't at least come to an agreement that this can't happen again. And if we continue to allow assault rifles be in the hands of people who aren't going to use them the correct way, we shouldn't have them at all. It literally the number one killing weapon in mass shootings and it's killing our children. It's killing our teachers. It's killing the people of America. Um, I want to bring you in, Senator Gutierrez. Your testimony is gripping as well. And I mean, the idea that um, that people are so much more motivated um, to vote, including in the state of Texas, on the issue of preserving people's access to this, you know, modified version, civilian version of an M-16, basically, than they are to vote in a way that to, to prevent people from getting their hands on it. Texas has done nothing. Um, the country's done a little bit. Some states have done stuff. But what do you make of this resistance to doing anything to stop this? Sandy Hook's anniversary was literally a day ago. Well, Joy, thank you for having me. First off, the resistance is really with the Republican Party elected officials. Seventy five percent of Republicans want to see extreme risk protective orders and they want to see 
an increase to an age of 21. In Texas, as you know, you can be 18 and buy an AR-15 like this young man did. We need common sense gun safety solutions in the United States. And there is this blockade in Washington that just I do not understand. And my only hope is that we can get people like Faith and Nicole, which was the other testimony today from the young lady from Sandy Hook. My only hope is that those young people come into power and their generation begins to make the change that is necessary in our country because our generation simply is not doing the job. And Faith, what would you say to, to somebody? There are people who are adamant. I've, I've talked to these people. I've gone when I was in Texas. We, I spoke to a gentleman who was just hardcore on this issue, that, that nothing, no amount of carnage would seems to change their minds. But do, you, do you, what would you say to somebody who is hard and fast on not wanting to do anything, including raising the age to 21 to buy an AR-15? It's actually very gut-wrenching, like having to have a conversation with someone who can't even see the morals of it. Um, if I were to have a conversation with someone, I would just tell them, you know, I never hope you have to go through what my family has gone through. And I never hope you have to understand what we have been through and what I had to see my sister look like after she was murdered in her classroom. Yeah. I mean, Senator, you know, we're talking about we're, not, we're talking about people not even being able to have an open casket funeral because of what these weapons can do to an adult. You know, in a wartime situation, they're doing to a little person, a little a, a little fourth grader or a third grader, or, you know, little kids. Um, and, and I wonder if you, you know, given the results of the last election, even the district where Uvalde is voted to reelect the current governor, who's done nothing to try to save future families from what this family is going through. It's hard for people to be hopeful when, when folks see that. What do you think? I understand, Joy, and I'm, I'm just just uh, sad and tortured by all of this. At the end of the day, voting is entirely, I, I, I feel that a lot of people are, are just simply not voting. You know, a lot of people of color yeah. are not voting, and they're certainly not voting in their economic interest, and they're not voting in their social interest if they are voting for these folks. Um, we have a lot of work to do in that electoral space, but I'm going to keep fighting for advocacy in this issue because no child and no parent, no sister should ever have to go through what all of these parents and these families have gone through. Um, I wish America, uh, I went to eight funerals and the last funeral was a closed casket. You can imagine, uh, what had happened to that little girl. I wish America could come to some peace on this and have an understanding and have that Emmett Till moment because these mo these children's lives were shattered and destroyed because of that weaponry. People need to really understand this. And, and I, I'm going to give you the last word on this, Faith, uh, because, you know, there, there is also the issue of law enforcement. Um, and they were not there for your family um, and for your baby sister that day. But what changes would you like to see on that front? Because obviously there's something broken there, too. Yeah, there. There's a lot of broken pieces in Uvalde, especially with the PD and maybe even now the the sheriff's county up in Texas. Um, I would just really like to see more active shooting training 
these officers obviously were not trained or have the proper equipment as what they were saying to go into this classroom and save these 21 lives. So moving forward, I believe that there needs to be proper training, proper equipment, and these officers need to know that when they are hired for this job, they are hired to go in and save lives, not save their own lives. Indeed. We just ask that they be as brave as a fourth grader or a teacher. That would be helpful. Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez and Faith Mata, thank you. Thank you very much, both of you, for what you've done and what you do. Uh, stay ahead. Uh, still ahead, because stay, ahead, stay there, because still ahead, President Biden authorizes the release of thousands of documents related to the assassination of JFK. What to expect next on The Readout. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. You'd be forgiven if you've forgotten this bizarre event. In November 2021, when QAnon believers converged on Dealey Plaza in Dallas to await the arrival of John F. Kennedy Jr. Some even brought flags about a potential Trump-Kennedy presidential run. In fact, some followers falsely believe an election denier who goes by the pseudonym Juan O'Savin might actually be JFK Jr., the problem is that John F. Kennedy Jr. actually died in a plane crash in 1999. He is most definitely not a living Trump fan. But the root of American conspiratorial thinking about everything from September 11 to COVID denial to QAnon can be tied back to the distrust in government and the questions left very much open about the assassination of JFK Jr.'s father, President John F. Kennedy. Questions that still linger 59 years after his assassination in Dealey Plaza in Dallas. The Warren Commission concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman in Dallas on November 22, 1963. But a lot of Americans don't believe that. And today, President Biden ordered the National Archives to release additional documents related to Kennedy's murder. More than 13,000 are now public. Thousands of other documents that the White House says could harm intelligence operations, law enforcement or foreign relations will stay partly or completely under seal. Politico reported that much of the information is expected to come from the CIA's personality file of information on Oswald collected before and after the assassination. The records were supposed to be released in full in 2017 under a deadline in the 1992 Kennedy Assassination Records Act that was waived by then-President Donald Trump. 
Joining me now is Fernand Amandi, Democratic pollster, strategist, and MSNBC political analyst. And Jefferson Morley, editor of the JFK Facts blog on Substack and author of Scorpion's Dance, The President, The Spymaster, and Watergate. Thank you both for being here. I am fascinated by this subject and have been for a really long time. Uh, and Jefferson, I do want to start with you. What are we expected to learn that's new in this, this document release? What we know that the CIA is withholding is their, quote, sources and methods, unquote, around the accused assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. That means their spying techniques. That means their operational interest in him while President Kennedy was still alive. And kind of the backdrop to this story, Joy, is, you know, the story that hasn't been told is the CIA knew far, far, far more about Oswald while Kennedy was still alive than they've ever admitted or than has ever really been reported in the media. And that fact is kind of the the underlying story of what's going on here today. You know, we had a big release. Yeah, go ahead. Go on. No, you go. Yeah. So we had a big release today and we've been going through the records that they supposedly released. I mean, I'm sorry to say, Joy, it's a big shell game. So they say, oh, we released all these records. You know what they did? They would release a record and they would unredact one sentence from it. And they'd say, we've released that record. But if you go and look at the record, they've left the rest of it redacted. So really, they, they didn't redact anything. You know, so the CIA is trying to control the narrative and the record of the Kennedy assassination in 2022. It's really amazing and outrageous. You know, and, and Fernand, you know, I've talked about this. You know, one, we have this conspiratorial society now with everything from COVID denialism to QAnon, et cetera, on and on and on. But there is some blame to be laid with the federal government and the CIA and FBI and others who in the past have not been honest with the American people. And the JFK assassination feels like the first time that Americans really woke up to the idea that the government just lies to you. And then people didn't believe what they said regarding JFK. And they didn't believe the sort of, you know, single bullet that jumped around theory. And these it's made us, I think, all worse off. So you're, you're, you did a poll that showed that the vast majority of Americans want this information. Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, Joe, I think you're right. And I think what's most fascinating is dating back to the night of the assassination in November of 1963, when the first poll was actually done on the matter by George Gallup. In the 59 years, Joy, there has never been even close to a majority of Americans believing in the conclusions that Lee Harvey Oswald, acting alone, murdered President Kennedy. And to your point, I think that gut feeling, uh, coupled with the very questionable, even bordering on bad faith actions by some federal agencies, but in this case, the CIA, to continue to say six decades after the fact, as they've done today, as Jeff said, today they are saying, no. There are still files that we don't really feel comfortable releasing because we think it might harm the national interest. And I think if you actually reflect upon the calculus of what that means, the CIA is in essence saying, Joy, we would rather take the reputational hit and allow this conspiratorial thinking to keep be out there as opposed to dealing with the consequences of releasing these files as the law mandated, a unanimous law passed by Congress in 1992 that they should have been released in 2017. So I think American public opinion and the polling sees that and that's reflected of that. And that's why Jeff's point about why are they still hiding these documents is a very pregnant question 60 years later now in 2022. 
Well, and, you know, and, and yeah. Jeff Morley, I, I want to go back to you on this because the, the irony is that, you know, bad actors overseas, and I'm thinking Putin and Russia right now, know that. <laughs> they know that this country is not trustworthy, not trusting always of the government. And they exploit that. And ironically, the questions around Lee Harvey Oswald have to do with his relationships with foreign governments. And so that's the thing that it feels like they don't want us to know. Absolutely. They don't want us to know, you know, they've blown the deadline four four times in the past five years. That's a deadline set by Congress, October 2017. And it's been blown four times since then, and they still haven't disclosed freely. So it's clear they want to hide something. You know, that's the bottom line from today. They do not want to have practice full disclosure. And as, as Ferdinand says, you know, they'd rather invite the suspicion of the American people then come clean. What does that tell you? That tells you they have something to hide. So we don't know what that is yet, but we do know that these records exist. And we do know the overwhelming majority of Americans, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, people who like President Biden and people who like former President Trump, all agree this should be made public now. And the CIA is holding out. You know, this is our history. It doesn't belong to the CIA. It belongs to the American people. And the thing is, Fernand, what 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 people that don't have great motives will do is what things like what Donald Trump did and accuse literally Ted Cruz's father of being involved in the assassination. Because you can literally say anything about this assassination because of the information that the government is continuing to hide. Joy, Joy, that's so right. It becomes kind of a weaponized Rorschach test that, in many cases, bad faith actors take advantage of, whether it's for domestic political reasons or, as you said correctly, bad guys like Vladimir Putin understand that there's this web of concern and suspicion around this. So they weaponize this subject when it's our institutions and our agencies, like in this case, the Central Intelligence Agency, which by releasing everything, even if there's an ugly truth to confront there, it actually speaks to the grandiosity of America to overcome something that's embarrassing or worse and recognize it as opposed to try and bury it as they've now tried to do for 59 years. Well, I hope you all will come back as you guys dig through these records and, and, and learn more about what happened. Uh, Fernanda Mandy, Fernanda Mandy and Jefferson Morley, thank you both very much. Really appreciate you both. And coming up next, President Biden says the U.S. is all in on Africa at a D.C. summit hosting dozens of African leaders as Russia and China look to expand their influence in this vital region. We're back after this. This week, President Biden is hosting nearly 50 African leaders and their delegates at a summit to reset and bolster U.S. ties with African countries. Part of that includes $55 billion in economic security and health investments. The first U.S.-Africa summit was held by President Obama back in 2014. Since then, relations with Africa have atrophied due in large part to Donald Trump's racist treatment of the 54 countries that make up the continent. Back in 2018, Trump referred to Haiti and all of the countries that make up the African continent as S-hole countries. Biden's engagement with the African Union comes as Russia and China increase their geopolitical influence in the region. Much of China's interest is tied to the country's wealth of natural resources, which are critical to China's effort to become a manufacturing superpower. This week's summit is, Africa's, is America's signal to Africa that America is back and ready to engage in a positive way. 
Yesterday, President Biden hosted a meeting with the leaders of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Gabon, Liberia, Madagascar, Nigeria, and Sierra Leone to discuss democracy and the importance of free and fair elections. Today, Biden announced his support for the African Union to join the G20 as a permanent member. Biden also announced his plan to visit sub-Saharan Africa next year. It will be the first presidential visit to the region since President Obama traveled to Senegal, South Africa, and Tanzania back in 2013. And joining me now is Mbemba, is Mbemba Fezo Dizolele, spectator, director and senior fellow of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Um, and Mr. Fezo Dizolele, thank you for being here. I want to start by talking about Africa's thank potential. You, Thank you. Collectively, the 54 countries there had 3.7% GDP, real GDP growth last year. Um, and yet the, the country that seems to be trying to take the most advantage of the opportunities on the continent is China. They're being very aggressive. Um, they're sort of all over com- countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Why do you suppose that is? Congo produces 70 percent of the world's cobalt. Um, you know, it's a it's a country that is, you know, has huge resources. Why do you suppose it's China that's so aggressively there and not Europe or the United States? Joy, I think uh, China does not have the blinders and the prism that the United States and Europe does uh, do on, on Africa. You know, Europe has a colonial past uh, in Africa. So they're still stuck in that 19th century mentality way looking at Africa, which is problem, 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 uh, not really seeing that it has partnership, partnership, partnership. The United States, by virtue of its closeness to Europe, tend to use the same prism as Europe. So even though Africans have been thirsting to do collaboration and partnerships with the United States, the United States has not been consistent in, in engaging with Africa, in part because of that prism, but also in part because of the structure of the po- political institution of the United States. Engagement change depending on who's in the White House, who controls mm-hmm. Congress. So it's not consistent in the way that the Chinese have uh, a set of objectives and they go after those no matter who's in the office. And that is a you challenge know, with the United States. You know, it feels that it is incredible, an incredible slight given the resources on the continent that Africa is not in the G20. What would be the importance of Africa, even if, you know, by, by virtue of the African Union, joining the G20? It is very important that the uh, African Union be represented on the G20 because Africa represents 1.4 billion people. Africa has a young population. By that, I mean the median age in Africa is 19 years old. And the average, the median age in Germany is 49. The median age in the U.S. is 38, 39. So you see the gap there. This means that the future of the world is really in Africa, not only because of the natural resources and water and minerals and so on, but mostly because of this youth, this young demographic will determine what we do with all the problems that we're facing, whether it's security, yeah. pandemics, climate change, they hold the key, at least important keys to the solution to those problems. This is where yeah. Africa is important, and you cannot circumvent Africa. Amen. I, I, one quick note before we let you go. I have to show you this picture. This is uh, President Biden watching uh, the World Cup uh, with the Moroccan prime minister. Um, we were, we were, I was rooting hard for Morocco, but France is Afri- also a team with lots of Africans on it. <laughs> so what do you make of uh, the fact that Africa was represented in the semifinals at the World Cup? I think that's, that's actually signal why Africa is important. Today, there is no 
If you go to Europe, all the major teams are staffed with African players. You cannot ignore Africa with the population growth. I think the statistic is like something one out of four human beings in the next 30 years or 40 years will be an African. So it just, you cannot ignore Africa. I think this is where we are. The U.S. is coming back to Africa on, you know, taking the level a bit higher because they realize Africa is moving along with or without the United States. Africa yep. has other options beside the West and the United States. So it yeah. behooves the United States to get mm-hmm. in there. And that's where we are. All right. And go Mbappe <laughs> for the final in the finals. Uh, <laughs> You're a big fan of Mbappe. Okay, I see. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. Uh, Mbemba Faisal Dizolele, thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. And still ahead, even though I was really rooting from Rocco, but we're going to go with what we got. Uh, the twice impeached, disgraced former president made a major announcement, everybody. Major. Well, majorly humiliating anyway. Back in a sec. <laughs> Our country's sixth president, John Quincy Adams, once said, there is nothing more pathetic in life than a former president. Perhaps a little harsh, as many of them had interesting lives after the presidency. Adams himself went on to serve for nearly 17 years in the House of Representatives. Thomas Jefferson founded the University of Virginia and went back to not freeing the slaves on his profitable plantation. William Howard Taft went on to become chief justice of the Supreme Court. And in more recent history, you have Jimmy Carter focusing on issues of democracy and human rights and literally building homes with Habitat for Humanity. Bill Clinton started the Clinton Global Initiative to help find solutions to issues like climate resilience, health equity and economic growth around the world. The Obamas also have a foundation that focuses on young people, plus a Netflix deal to produce content they say is to to promote greater empathy and understanding among people. And then there's our most recent former president, who may be taking old John Quincy Adams literally with his latest venture. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. No. That is not an SNL sketch, though, shouldn't it be? I mean, aren't former presidents supposed to keep some level of dignity? Trump is reverting back to the pre-White House failed real estate tycoon who will affix his name to any product to make a buck. You remember Trump stakes or how about the Trump board game? He claims these so-called limited edition cards feature images pertaining to his life and career, though at what point in his life was he ever an astronaut? And did I miss when he starred as an extra on Yellowstone? It also appears that he may have taken inspiration from some of these, uh, for some of these from outside sources. Doesn't this superhero Trump with the laser eyes look a lot like the viral dark Brandon meme in support of President Biden? And I wonder where he got the idea for posing on horseback. Could it be from his friends like Putin or Kim Jong-un? Let's also not forget that the eternal humiliation of that to the eternal humiliation of America, Trump is not just a former president, but also a current presidential candidate. It was a month ago that he declared his candidacy, but he has yet to hold a single campaign event, though he apparently needed more attention. Maybe it's just a sad reaction to his failing poll numbers and, you know, among Republican voters. Perhaps it's simply a straight up money play as his many legal bills pile up and his properties hemorrhage money. And what may be the saddest part of all, 
is that there are MAGA supporters who, even after all of his dangerous, embarrassing stunts, will yet again open up their wallets and shell out the $99 per card before they're gone, even though they're digital so they can never run out. Indeed, Trump's greatest feat since leaving the White House has been his ability to turn his supporters into his own personal piggy bank. And I wonder how long it will be before we see Trump enlist his submissive lackeys like Senator Lindsey Graham to start hawking these goofy trading cards for him because you know they'll do it. Trump had billed this as a major announcement. And today, Dark Brandon couldn't resist tweeting in response, I had some major announcements the last couple of weeks, too. Inflation's easing. I just signed the Respect for Marriage Act. We brought Brittany Griner home. Gas prices are lower than a year ago. 10,000 new high-paying jobs in Arizona. However, Biden didn't come out with his own line of uh, digital trading cards. Loser. And <laughs> that's tonight's readout. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. All episodes available now. 